0: Welcome to the 375th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in southwest Florida. Welcome, and thank you for listening. I hope this finds you somewhat warm and toasty. There's some cold weather out there. We're even going to get into the frost range in Florida this weekend. However, I won't be here in Florida this weekend because I'm taking the diva to Houston to meet the dietician and Caleb and the strength coach, Nathan, along with Michael, and we're going to see a Warriors game. So if any of you know how to get a hold of Steph Curry, I need an autograph. I need a handshake on Tuesday, January 31st at the Houston Basketball Dome with the diva and Steph Curry. She is definitely his biggest fan. She watches every game. She stays up on the East Coast till 1 o'clock in the morning to watch the basketball games and root him on. So if you're out there and you know how to get me in touch with Steph, to get an autograph, to get a handshake, to get a hello, please email me at jamie at drdelaney.com. That's my favorite to ask for the week. As far as my training goes, it's going pretty good. I'm in the high 50, 60 miles a week range. Uh, The biggest thing that happened to me is I caught my little toe on the corner of the molding around the dishwasher and uh, bent it back. I don't think it's broken. It's just bruised. As my friend would say, it's a soft tissue injury, but soft tissue injuries hurt a little bit when you ram them into shoes. Uh, Interestingly, the first day after I did it, because I wear NNG toe socks, I tried to tape the toe socks. My fourth and fifth toe together on the outside of the toe socks and that kind of worked it's hard to get the tape off of the toe socks so the next day I tried my lone pigs and they just I had to come back after um, about a half a mile and change back into my Newtons so my Newtons are the most comfortable shoes for my little bruised toad so I haven't really lost stride much um, still still running. Um, you know, we did uh, two long runs last weekend, so we're kind of edging into the pseudo-taper phase a little bit. So we're going to run in Houston, be able to try some cold-weather gear out this weekend, so that'll, that'll be good, try out some more nutrition. I'm liking mandarin oranges in the little packets that are just in fruit juice, uh, and I'm liking the peter rabbit... Uh, baby food pouches with blueberry and banana. Uh, I, I'm, I'm liking those as some solid foods as well as Betty Lou's um, fruit bars. So those are the solid foods that I'm going to be uh, taking, pretty sure. Uh, I still like my cliff raspberry and my huma lemon and my Huma blueberry. Um, I like a Cliff Mocha, so I can pretend like I'm having a cup of coffee. So that's kind of my nutrition plan thus far, and uh, so we'll so we'll work on that and get that honed in a little bit more um, in these next couple of weeks. Still trying to figure out exactly, you know, the weather and, and what I'm going to wear. But, um, you know, getting that getting that all honed in, it was nice that we had some rain last weekend. So I got to, you know, play around with a rain jacket and a, and a shirt underneath to figure out, you know, you don't want to get too hot because you don't want to get cold if you have to walk. And So working on that. This freeze coming up, I'm afraid, it's going to affect my mango trees in the back. So I'm kind of bummed about that. And I have some beautiful tomatoes that I'll try to cover up. So I'm a little... A little concerned that nature may uh, deal us a blow with our mango trees, but we'll just have to go with what we got. Hopefully the sun will come out. It's going to be like 80 degrees in like four days, so we'll have one or two nights, one night of frost for sure, maybe two nights, and then the sun will come up. So I, I don't know um, what it'll do as far as damage. We have some little mangoes hanging on, so I hope, I hope not too much, uh, too much happens. So there you have my updates. Um, I want to talk about, I guess, our story um, and life summary and how we kind of tell um, how, things, how things go. Um, you know, if I go back to my little toe injury and running, um, again, I have a memory of um, one of the, oh, Addie was way back in high school. We decided to do a relay with some friends, um, and we all ended up getting somewhat injured, and I, at that time, I'd hurt my Achilles, and I didn't really want to say, because it was their first race that I was injured. So I kind of put off letting them know. And uh, finally, uh, the one of the one of the people in the in the race in our our team was a radiologist, and I finally, at the last minute, because things weren't getting very better, I was like, you know, maybe I ought to get a an x-ray to see if I have any, you know, real damage done to my Achilles that I really tear or just strained. And so he read the x-ray and said, you know, it's not, it's just a soft tissue injury. It's not torn, you know. So it's like a mere abrasion is what he said. And um, that mere abrasion really, really hurt when I ran. But we kept saying it's just a mere abrasion. You can do it because it's not torn. You're not, you know, it's not devastated devastating injury. It's just an abrasion. So I end up running. I end up actually doing what you shouldn't do. Um, I had a steroid injection into that Achilles at the time, uh, which resulted in hematoma and made it a little bit worse. And then I took Advil right before I was supposed to do my four-mile loop. I would not advise that for anyone. Do as I say, but not as I did. Um, It turns out that you know, fast forward many years and many marathons, um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs such as Motrin, ibuprofen, will actually make tendon injuries worse. So it's a good thing that I, and you know, the steroids as well uh, make the tendons a little bit more weak. So it's, I'm really lucky that I didn't rip it good um, with my mere abrasion, but I got through it. And so when I was running this week with my little toe that is a mere soft tissue bruise injury... Uh, it was kind of, you know, it's like taking a, you know, hitting a bruise, and it kind of stings every time you hit it, so when you take a step, there's a little bit of a sting uh, when I land on my foot, especially when I was in the one shoes that, you know, kind of, I guess, put a little bit more pressure on my, my fifth, fourth and fifth toe. And start, you know, you can start focusing in on things and becomes all-encompassing that, you know, every time you take a step, you feel that and you kind of keep waiting for that and changes your gait and everything else. And I kind of got the giggles over it because it's a mere soft tissue injury of my little toe. How bad could it be? Certainly not going to kill me. It's going to be all right. And as I ran and it's towards the end of the week, my quads were a little tired. And, you know, when I started thinking about my quads, my little toe didn't hurt. And, and that happens a lot in races, that if something else hurts, it you takes your mind off of what hurt before, and if something else happens, you takes your mind off. And if you see something, or people cheer or yell, it takes your mind off of it, so you're not focused on something, so you don't notice it much. So it turns out what, I fo- what you focus on really can um, end up defining your day, your race, and uh, perhaps your nutrition or your health, because we focus on a particular story that we tell over and over again, Um, our perception of ourselves our perception of why things are the way they are and a lot of times it doesn't really have much to do with um, actuality or it can change if you just change that life story so to speak Um, you know if you were grew up and you talk about being a fat kid and running slow and doing things that's that's one thing um, if you, you know, if you every time you do something, something happens, so that defines you. Every time I go on vacation, I have a bad time, or these bad things happen to me. Um, and sometimes when other people look at your story, it's not necessarily as what the story that they see for you. So, you know, I, I, I maybe. If you look at somebody else and you look at, if you know them well enough to know several events, maybe not every event, but you know several events that happen in their life, you can piece together what you think their story is. What's their problem? It must be because these several things happen to them, and you make a story up for them. may not have anything to do with what they see, their story, but you make a story up for them, and your story is no more accurate than their story Um, and it just happens to be nothing more than just a story and this comes up for me this weekend because I think it has a lot to do with um, how fulfilled we are how disappointed we are with life how we perceive our ability to change or do other things Um, my knees hurt I can't run um, I've always been overweight, I'll never be, be thinner, and uh, this kind of circles back um, to I had a aunt that passed away this weekend, and I read her obituary, and it really wasn't anything like I remembered her in her la for the majority of her years. I spent a lot of my childhood time around her, and there were certainly good times, and I have some fond memories of, of things we did, not necessarily because of what she did, but just the happiness around the particular events, whether it was snowmobile, snowmobile riding or going to football games, but life never turned out the way she expected. It was never quite perfect enough, and it was... Uh, almost a a life that she, you know, looked at the dark side and what didn't go right as opposed to what did go right. And in her uh, obituary, there were some happy highlights mentioned, but it was almost as if someone had to look for the good times in her life. So I suspect the author had a similar perception that I did that life just didn't quite measure up for her like she would have liked it. Life was somewhat of a disappointment if you wanted to really know my perspective on what I would think her thought was. And, and that's a shame because, again, when I look back on her life, I, I see a lot of good things. Uh, and she made a lot of good impacts on, on people. She was a teacher. She made a really good impact on me Um, One of the things that I quote uh, in my office and when I'm dealing with people is that she said one time that if her students didn't understand what she was trying to teach, it was because of the way she was teaching it, not necessarily because of the student self. And so she always blamed herself if a student didn't excel. And I kind of took that philosophy with my teaching of either patients or students over the years that I needed to present things in a way that people understood them. And it was my job to figure out how a particular person learned and would best understood, understand things and to meet them where they are. And, th- and that has actually served me quite well. And it's because of her um, that I, I have that um, thought. It's also because of her, I guess, that sometimes I'm really disappointed in some time, in some of my outcomes. Because when I don't get through to people, uh, I take it very personal. I take everybody's. Um, I, I take it's. It's all. We're all one team. And if a patient doesn't do well, I consider it a failure of mine, as well as a potential failure of of them. So if somebody doesn't understand or attain their goals, then, then I kind of take the blame for it. And I, I, I really don't like to lose so much. And so um, the part doesn't serve me well is that, you know, uh, sometimes it just doesn't work out. And, and again, maybe I don't see uh, what, you know, the part of me that sees a failure, maybe it wasn't all a failure. There was all, there's always something good that comes out of it, but I fail to see that in myself sometimes. So I guess I have that to thank her for as well. So, so people's story intrigues me. Um, one afternoon several years ago, my nurse Dawn and I sat down with uh, uh, one of our patients on her 100th birthday. And we sat in her kitchen, and we had a glass of wine with her, and we talked about her life. And she spoke freely, talking about... Um, You know her life in her 30s and what she did as a businesswoman and the tales that she had with her husband and she looked back on them with such fondness Um, the tales that she had with the the jokes that she and her husband played on each other and the things that she had done with her daughter and the memory she had with her grandson who was severely disabled and to hear the stories and the story of her life and all the things she she had done, um, it was such a beautiful tale. And you could see, you know, living, reliving the memories with her was uh, something that she really enjoyed. Knowing what I knew of her later life, because I met her in the end, ending twenty years of her life, I could have told a much different story. Her husband passed away, her daughter passed away of melanoma, um, she, she took care of her severely disabled grandson, he needed constant care, she broke her hip, she had breast cancer, her grandson died in her arms, I mean, I, I could, and then she was all alone. And I could put that story together and tell a very sad tale with a sad ending, but it wasn't how she saw it. Um, she saw the service to her husband and her daughter and her grandson as being highlights of her life, and when they were no longer there, she turned to service of veterans and made things and sewing and helping other people and interacting with other people and teasing with other people, and And she was quite a character. I've, I did a, a podcast about her when she passed, and if she was such a positive influence, always, you know, um, pick yourself up and go again. And just, uh, I, I would guess she, she was a New Yorker that, uh, through and through, that just, you know, got things done. She was just very practical, had a lot of common sense, and, and was fun to, to be around. And life wasn't so much about being happy, it was just about, about being. And uh, life itself was, was a pleasure for her. And I think sometimes we just don't think that um, maybe life is as pleasurable as we think or that we're happy all the time. Or I I think that a lot of marketing ploys and, you know, we need to be happy and things need to be easy in order for it to be good. And when it doesn't turn out exactly according to plan, then, you know, the the disappointment is overwhelming. And sometimes we look at those disappointments and it becomes overwhelming and overwhelming um, and and we get this story that we tell. And I, I thought about my aunt and I thought, boy, I need to pay attention to my story and make sure I really see all the good points because there are good points in in all of our stories that we can select from. So how does this translate into general health and plant-based nutrition? Well, if your story is that um, I'm a carnivore and I'm a meat eater and this is just the way it is, and I have a family history of this and Plants just don't taste good to me, and I just don't enjoy the way this is. And it takes it takes way too long, and this is way too restrictive. And nobody wants to be around me because of the way I eat. Um, that can that can be a story that can. Um, I, I wouldn't wish that story on anybody. And um, but I, I don't think that's that's part of it usually at all. When I talk to people that say things like that. Uh, I can always find something, especially if I've known him for a little bit, well, don't you like, you know, potatoes? You like mashed potatoes? Don't you like when you have, you know, a Mexican night? Don't you enjoy when family comes over and you can do this? Don't you enjoy? Yeah, 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 yeah. But again, that story comes that these are the reasons why maybe I want to fall back into the old ways. My plant-based story started because I learned about factory farming and just couldn't, believe what we did to animals just to make more and more and more and more and what we were doing to the environment with more and more chemicals and all of a sudden how what we ate actually made a difference in how we felt and whether we got cancer whether we could cure heart disease or whether we could turn it around I only thought about nutrition as being calories in calories out did it taste good Um, and that's you know did you get all the basic vitamins and minerals um, until that point? But once that part, other part became my story, then it grew from that until, uh, you know, I, I want to explore cooking different ways, different recipes. Uh, I, I want to go and, and experience tropical fruits. I live in Florida and go to farmer's markets and see how other other cultures cook different foods. I want to explore Indian food and, um, you know, West Indian food and Jamaican food. I want to make our, our Italian dishes more plant-based. I want to see if we can make some of our sweets plant-based. Um, I, I want to, you know, try my hand at growing vegetables, growing fruit trees. And one thing led to another, and it became um, quite exciting. We started accruing recipes that the whole family liked and then I started sharing them with our nutrition class and we when we and we got a list of recipes that you know was our go-to list that people liked and it turned out to be um, a cookbook and part of the cookbook came from the diva because she always made she was always well was always been a very good cook but she was really good at making soups and when, after she got over her lymphoma and and she started, you know, turning some of her soup recipes into plant-based soups. And so now we had this um, family tradition of how did you make that? Let's think about it, you know, how what exactly went into this so we could actually write a cookbook? and And that was quite fun. So the story of our plant-based transition was not one of we have to do something. Um, and we're made to, and this is awful. It became how do we get how do we get my mother through cancer treatment? and how will she do the best and we're not bring in different microbes to to hurt her? How will we nourish ourselves? How do we prevent heart disease? How do we reverse gastroesophageal reflux? Um, and one thing led to another with different people coming into the scene and showing improvements in things like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and scleroderma and hypertension and diabetic neuropathy. And so it grew and grew and grew and became such a passion. And the story is one of excitement because all of a sudden, the first time in my life, I was able to take people off medications. I told somebody today, you know, before I changed the practice, I was really good at treating heart failure. We kept our patients out of the hospital. We we see them very often. We watch. We help them learn about sodium restriction and uh, titrating medications, and we kept them out of the hospital. Now I do the same thing, but but now we take it one step further, and we help them heal their heart, uh, and they do much better. Not not just by watching sodium, by but by other things. So their exercise or their breathing. Um, you, you know, so, so it's expanded my career, not limited my career in any way. And so the story of this plant-based nutrition journey has is, is been very, very exciting. Personally, I enjoy every meal that I eat. I look forward to my breakfast. I've even refined it recently to, to focus more on fruit. I did my little experiment with after a marathon, rehydrating and refueling with fruit and found that I, I recovered much better. I tried um, the other opposite of this week. I ran out of fruit, or I ran out of a lot of fruit compared to what I usually eat and didn't have as much. My legs got more tired. It didn't recover as well. Um, so I went and got more fruit. You know, I was, I was thinking my papayas off my tree were going to ripen quicker than they did. So I kind of got stuck at a law that things weren't ripe. So you know, I've, I've tried it both ways and said, man, this fruit thing really works for me. So I'm going to incorporate more and more of that. It's, it's so easy to digest. Um, you know we've we've expanded the, again, the different different ethnic foods that we cook and varieties. I, I look forward each week to looking up recipes that to share with our nutrition class and to talk about how they may help. so it's it's all been a very positive story for me. It's not been, you know, uh, it takes a long time to prep and you got to stand at the kitchen sink and cut up vegetables. It, it's not that. It's how do you cut them up in different ways. You know, how can you make the little pieces of pepper cut up smaller? How can you make the, the carrots for sushi just the right way? You know, how can you do it quicker? Um, but it's not, I have to do it quicker, but it's it just enjoy doing it for the love of, of cooking and smelling and putting together other sp- uh, s- spices. So it's my perception of, of what it's all about as opposed that I have to do it or I'm doing it for a particular reason there are a lot of people that actually come to the office and share really fine transitions and very fine stories about their plant-based journey. So you know, when, when you're you know, feeling in times that you, you, know, you don't like this or why am I doing it or you're, you're trying to talk yourself out of it, look at your story a little bit and see how you want it to end, see how you want people to think about what you do um, change your perception you know a lot of people want other people to join them in being plant-based but they don't present it in such a way that anybody would want to. So if you're miserable doing something, probably nobody else is going to be want to do it with you. So I hope you find the joy in plant-based cooking and, and nutrition uh, and I hope that becomes part of the good part of your story. The other thing that I wanted to talk about in the last part of the podcast was, um, COVID shaming. Um, I believe, as I've said multiple times on this podcast, that people should have the right to choose whatever medical intervention they have done to them, whether it's a vaccine or a heart catheterization or a facelift or um, back surgery. I think that you need to weigh the risk versus the benefit and make a decision. SARS-CoV-2 is an infectious disease that's a virus that people catch Nobody ever wants to give somebody else an infection, but it happens. A lot of times we deny uh, that we're having symptoms because we just don't want to get it. We don't want to get anything. We don't want to get a cold. It slows us down. We can't do what we want. We feel bad. You know, mind over matter. Um, My mother-in-law used to say I don't have time to be sick. But... We do have to remember that if you have symptoms that may be an infectious disease, chances are it's contagious. Whether it's SARS-CoV-2 or the flu or another virus, it may be contagious to other people, and depending on their immune health, it could cause them more or great difficulty. The thing with SARS-CoV-2, and especially with different variant, is some people do have different symptoms. The usual fevers, uh, body aches are there. the new variety is Omicron is more of an upper head respiratory sort of sore throat full of congestion versus um, the Delta is more of a lower respiratory tract, potentially more um, hyperimmune responses with the clotting and, and more of a serious illness uh, as far as um, a secondary overwhelming um, autoimmune type of um, or overwhelming uh, immune response, so to speak. But nevertheless, different people uh, experience it different. Some people have a lot of risk factors and don't have that many symptoms. Some people have no risk factors and have pretty bad symptoms. You know, it depends on when a virus catches you. If you are, you know, are you tired? And lock, lack of sleep might not be eating just quite right. Under a lot of stress, who knows? Um, I think there's a lot we don't know about it. Nevertheless we can treat SARS-CoV-2. We can treat it and lessen the possibility of having severe secondary side effects in most people. This, the older and sicker you are, the more dangerous that it happens to be, but I still believe it's, it's worth trying to be aggressive and treat early on with a vitamin regimen. Uh, Potentially ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, steroids, antibiotics, uh, perhaps monoclonal antibodies. It's again an individual patient, depending on their symptoms and risk factors. But nevertheless, in order to treat something, we need to make a diagnosis. So if people have a symptom, you know, it's it's it is good to 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 get a test, if you have symptoms, to maybe confirm which way the treatment should go. Certainly vitamins won't hurt anybody with any infectious disease. When you're talking about making sure your vitamin D levels are adequate, um, taking in vitamin C will not hurt anybody. Zinc won't hurt anybody, cosirton won't hurt anybody with any kind of infectious disease, just may make your immune system a little bit better. Certainly eating eating well, ginger, turmeric, those different spices certainly help, garlic, onions, um, but we shouldn't shame anybody, uh, that has COVID, nor should we feel shamed if we do have COVID. I had COVID in last December. Uh, it was disappointing. I didn't go to get to go visit my family in, in Houston. Um, sat by myself, had to isolate, was worried that I was going to infect my mother, uh, to some degree, tried my best to not, but you know, I, you can do what you can do. Um, but life goes on. And I think we have to face things And Treat them if there was if there's a disease that you could get that there's absolutely nothing you can do about it to change the course Or nothing that you're willing to do to change the course then I don't think you need to worry about testing it or treating it Or if there's nothing to treat there you can't but in this case there is you know, so Just like heart disease um, There's something we can do to treat There was a recent study looking at uh, women with breast cancer who that basically women with breast cancer have a much higher risk of getting cardiovascular disease and potentially dying of cardiovascular disease, cardiovascular disease. And the takeaway of the study was that we need to screen more. And I'm not so sure we should screen more, but we should evaluate more and talk to people more. Not every treatment for breast cancer may be right for every patient, depending on their age and the amount of their disease. You know, maybe what we should be doing more is to look at different groups and not a one size fits all for every therapy. And gradually that's occurred over the years. Um, surgeries have become much less radical, but we're still so worried about missing something that there's all, we, we forget that there's always a consequence to what we do. The same thing with, with heart disease. The risk factors for cardiovascular disease, whether you've had breast cancer or not, are if people have smoked, hypertension, diabetes, high, high cholesterol, high lipids, high triglycerides. Um, those are the biggies. And certainly over age 50, 55, uh, certainly over 60 for women can't do much about your age, but you can do something about the other ones. We know that treating hypertension and high cholesterol may decrease the acute events somewhat, but it doesn't do much to reverse disease at all. So we are basically delaying disease. We might make it less acute, meaning that when I read EKGs for the hospital and I see people that come in with the big one, the big acute myocardial infarction, it tends to be in that age group of 50 to 65. And those are, that's the very age group that people still don't think that could happen to me. Heart disease happens to older folks. And I just had a little high blood pressure. I was just a little overweight. Or he just, you know, he used to smoke, but he quit. Um, or he has diabetes, but he's on medication. The reason the 50 to 65-year-olds have such a problem is that the plaques are soft they haven't when when, when they when the plaques rupture it tends to it tends to a big blood clot tends to form and occludes the whole vessel and a heart attack happens it's not the little little ruptures that scar down over time and the 70 80% blockages that 80 year olds have or 70 year olds have those don't cause the big heart attacks it's that soft plaque that was 20% yesterday and becomes 100% tomorrow morning. And And it's that idea that we're 50 to 65, and we're invincible, and it can't happen to us. We'll take our medications, maybe not all the time, because we haven't had high blood pressure that long. We haven't had to take medicine that long. How bad could it be? Or maybe we have, and it's been under control, so it's not a big deal. So I think that's the same thing as far as putting your head in the sand, or... Being shamed into thinking that perhaps it could happen to you, and and we just as soon ignore it. Because we all know, if you're listening to this podcast, that there's something you can do to change it. We can bring your blood pressure down, but we can't just bring it down by stopping your medicine and wishing you well. You have to change something the salt that you're taking in, the fat that you're taking in, um, the, the nitric oxide producing vegetables that you take in, the way you're dealing with stress. A sympathetic tone, the way you're breathing, the way you're exercising, those are all things that affect blood pressure that need to be addressed. And they can be addressed and it can change the outcome, but they have to be dealt with on a daily basis. We can get people off their insulin for diabetes really quick, but as soon as they go back to eating and snacking and doing their old thing, their, their glucoses go right back up. So once, you know, once you have one of these lifestyle diseases, you have to be diligent. And, you know, is that the bad news or is that the good news? The good news is if you are diligent and you do those things, you're going to have a really good outcome. But the, but the, but the bad news is once you have these diseases, you really need to be d- diligent. So it's not you've got it, you poor thing, you know, I'll, I'll just take these medicines and ignore things because you got to die of something. Um, you got to realize that you could die soon of something, and it could happen very quickly, and then you don't get the chance to change your story. And you might end up like my aunt with a story that, you know, you wish somebody would tell a little bit different. I get asked today for some tips about how to run a marathon for somebody that was getting ready to run their first marathon. And it's like, you know, the best tip about running a first marathon is to run it. And then you'll have ideas about what you have to do to the next one and the next one. And you refine your plan and the way it goes. And the reality of it is most of my marathons, just like life, there have been a series of things that I would like to try differently. And I, I have to adjust and, and refine a little bit. Um, and, and they don't always go good. But the good news is I always learn something from them, and I always have a story, and it's always there's always a funny highlight. And so far so good, I've always managed to come across the finish line and be able to line up again for the next one. And so it's not about getting things perfect the first time, whether it's nutrition or running, but it's enjoying the process of learning how to do these things, and not taking it as I have to do something, but I have the opportunity to do it uh, and have the opportunity to learn and and, and maybe giggle from the mistakes, uh, giggle from the, the soft tissue injuries, the mere abrasions that can be so troubling if we focus on them, but in the big picture have really nothing much to do with anything. So I hope that you can take a little look at your story that you're telling, and perhaps make some adjustments so that you see some of the the, the more comical, the fun times and the good times, and, and piece together. You know, maybe it's maybe it's writing a few things down that you can you can piece together some memories to say, you know what, just it it probably was a pretty good a, a pretty good run uh, at things so far, and, and this is how I'm going to take it from here. And this is the opportunity that I have to make a change. You know, good, you get the opportunity to do something different. So um, I hope you have a good week. Again, if anybody knows Steph Curry and can get me a way to get a handshake for the diva, please email me at jamie at drdelaney.com. And you can email me with questions at jamie at, Delaney, jamie at drdelaney.com. It's D O C T O R D U L A N E Y. Uh, as well. You can go to drdelaney.com and look at our practice. We are almost full as far as having full members, but we have a, some opportunities for online membership. But if you're interested in being a full member, um, act now, so to speak. Um, we, we do have a waiting list when things uh, get really full, and so people come and go. But we love to help you on your journey and to make your story um, a really good one. If you want to run a marathon with us in a month or a little less than it's in the first part of March at Stewart, Florida, the uh, Treasure Coast Marathon, hop on over there and sign up. There's relays if you can get some friends to come and join you and run a relay, half marathon, whole marathon, we'll be there. Um, I'm going to be running a 50 miler February the 13th in Texas, the Hoka 50. I'm hoping to cross the finish line. I'm sure I'm going to have some stories. I hope my little toe's acting up, but or uh, not acting up so much, but I'm going to take it with me anyway. So I look forward to hearing from you, especially about Steph Curry. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening.